Hey friends, it's your pal Mike Shea from Sly Flourish. Today, we are going to take a look at part three of the campaign adventure Empire of the Ghouls by Kobold Press. Part three is a chapter known as the Blood Marriage. This is about the halfway mark of this campaign. If you want to see other videos where I cover other parts of this adventure, there is a playlist that contains all of them. You can find that down the show notes or you can take a look around and whatever your YouTube preferences are. If you're listening to the podcast, you can look at previous podcasts where I covered the other parts of Empire of the Ghouls. I'm doing sort of a recap and top tips for each of the chapters of Empire of the Ghouls as I complete them. It's a great big adventure so it's probably taking me more than a year to actually put all the videos together for this and I'm only about halfway through but it's really fun. This show like all of the work of Sly Flourish is brought to you by the patrons of Sly Flourish. Patrons get early access to videos, a dedicated discord server, a monthly Q&A and a whole bunch of exclusive material for their 5e and their fantasy role playing games including Uncovered Secrets Volume 1 and 2 the City of Arches Sourcebook and a whole bunch of exclusive adventures. Regnum Raddus, The Rats in the Cellar is one example of just a whole bunch of exclusive adventures. The Rats in the Cellar was my kind of poke at people who said, hey, rats can't be cool. You can't do a fun adventure involving rats. And I was like, have you ever read Graveyard Shift by Stephen King? Because that has some scary ass rats in it. And I want to make an adventure about it. So I made an adventure. It's available only to patrons of Sly Flourish where characters can go from first to fifth level by going to the sub cellars beneath an old inn that's owned by a friend of theirs. It has a whole thing about handling your first session and what the connections are with the characters it's meant to be like either a, you could do like a single session game you could also do like two or three sessions they're meant to be really quick you get a bunch of quests you sort of explore these quests and off you go there's a bunch of different quests that you can do milestones to level up and by the end of the adventure you hit fifth level so it's meant to kind of get you from first to fourth level very quickly as you go we have a unique artwork a side view map that shows daniel walthall did this map side view map that shows the depths of what's going on beneath this inn i really Really, I really love this map. I love the idea of vertical maps. And so we have that in here. And a bunch of different chambers and sub-basements where you get involved in all kinds of fun adventures and both you know, some role-playing, exploration, and combat all covered. Really fun adventure. I really like it. And even like a random encounter table for ca cavern encounters and cavern locations if you want to expand it beyond what's in the adventure itself. So Rats in the Cellar is just one example of many different dedicated adventures that patrons of Sly Flourish should get access to. And to the patrons of Sly Flourish, thank you so much for your support. So today we are going to be covering part three of Empire of the Ghouls. In the previous parts of the adventure, the characters started in the city of Zobek. They got involved in a bunch of evil shenanigans that are going on in Zobek. Then they made their way through the north, going all the way up from Zobek to a city called Jost. And the beginning of part three begins at the part, begins in the city of Jost, where they get the next phase of their adventure, the next thing that they're, they're going up against. This, so in previous ones, we've started to see some of the machinations of the Ghoul Imperium, their connection to the vampires of Krakova and what's been going on there. But now we've learned about this. So I wanted to start right off with some big tips for running this chapter. If you're running this part of the adventure, what are like the top things that I can tell you that could help you run this adventure? So I wanted to offer those right now. My first tip really takes place before you even start this chapter, and that's to foreshadow that the wedding is happening. This is something I did all throughout chapter two. They got hints and little bits of information and learned little secrets that there is this wedding that is taking place. There's a big ceremony that's taking place. It's sort of a, a ceremony between vampires and ghouls that's sort of uniting these two groups together. It is a symbolic gesture that the ghouls and the vampires uh, believe in that are going to kind of bond these two empires together, these two groups 
together. And they learned about that before they even got the quest to go handle it. And that way it was very organic and very natural for them to finish out part two and then immediately get the quest that actually tells them where this wedding is taking place and what they need to do in order to get there and to stop it. So that way it wasn't this abrupt end of chapter two and then abrupt beginning of chapter three. I sort of bled in the the rumors of the, this wedding taking place so that it was in the character's mind, it was in the player's mind. And then when they heard, okay, now's your time to actually go do this. They're like, oh yeah, that's the wedding we heard the vampires and ghouls talking about when we were busy raiding in, in Krakova. So foreshadow, when you're running the earlier parts of this adventure, particularly chapter two, drop in little hints that there's this ceremony taking place. That can really help. The next one is, and this is a tip for this entire campaign. This is probably my only major problem with the campaign is there is so much travel. You travel forever. There's thousands and thousands of miles of travel. It's actually one of the benefits of the adventure. The main benefit of this adventure is you get to see such a widespread version of Midgard. You, if this adventure is really like the Storm King's Thunder of Midgard. It is a huge adventure that shows you lots of different places, lots of different people, lots of different gods and pantheons and how the people work with the gods and pantheons. There's so much opportunity to really showcase the whole world of Midgard. You really don't cover the east and you really don't cover the west, but you cover the entire north, the central and the south regions, this major swath right in the center of Midgard. And the problem is, though, you're doing a lot of travel for it. And this chapter is really the travel in this chapter is not as much of an issue as they as it is in chapter two and chapter four, part two and part four. And in with part two, you're traveling for like 3000 miles. And then part four, you're traveling for another like three, 3,000, miles. So you want to figure out how you're going to manage that travel with this one. You want to kind of look at it and think about how are you going to play that out? Do you do you skip a lot of it? And basically, you, know, you can condense the regions. That's easy to do. You can also just ask, like, what are you going to do as the characters are traveling from one place to the other? One of the big things that I did is I offered multiple ways to travel. They could take shadow roads if they wanted to. The two main ways that I had them traveling was you can travel overland or you can take a shadow road. The players are recognized, though, that every time they go to a Shadow Road, they get involved in some kind of shenanigans. So one of the players in particular is like, why do we always go to the Shadow Roads? We end up just, you know, seeing weird stuff and getting into big fights. Why don't we just take the Overland? So like, okay, let's go Overland. So in this case, they went Overland. So this is where you can kind of think about your point crawl kind of way. What are some locations that they could see along the way? What are some places they could visit? What pathways they could take? And then you can do things like campfire montages. You can do like one encounter at each kind of path to show them, give them an example of the sort of things that they're going on not always a combat counter sometimes it could be they discover people have already been in a fight sometimes they meet people that they could talk to but something that some kind of encounter along the way so that they can get an idea and get a bigger view of what's going on in the in this whole region and that really takes me to tip three which is embrace the north and its pantheon this part of the campaign and this part of midgard is really different than all of the other areas of midgard and again one of the advantages of empire of the ghouls is that we get to see so much of this world we get to see so many of these parts of the regions and we can see how they change and how they connect and a big part of the north is we have the northern pantheon which is based pretty specifically with the norse pantheon and we also have kind of the northern tribes the northern groups that are operating there and we can see what their lifestyle is like and how it differs from the different cities and places that we've seen in the south so if we embrace that and recognize like what are the things that we want to show the players that we want to show the characters when they're traveling these lands why are the dwarves of the north different than the dwarves of the cantons down further to the south why how are the gods interacting in the daily lives of the characters there these are interesting things that we can do and that we want 
want to show off. So I definitely recommend reading the Pantheon chapter in the Midgard World Book. I really do recommend having the Midgard World Book when you're running this. The Midgard World Book is a fantastic source book for Midgard. And you can go and read the Pantheons and read about masks and read about how Thor and Loki and Wotan One-Eye and the other northern gods kind of relate to the people of the north. So that is a really big advantage. Use the Midgard World Book alongside the Empire of the Ghouls game to embrace the North and embrace the pantheon of the North and show it off to the players as they're exploring. Now, like every good adventure, uh, you should make it your own and you should inject your own ideas when you come up with something that you think is going to be more fun for you and your players than what's in the book. And I definitely did this when I was running chapter three, when I was running the, 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 the blood marriage. There were Parts of it, like I read about Nordheim, I loved what the Midgard World books said about Nordheim, which is there's this one region of the world that's kind of just got eaten away in old battles and like it's just gone and nobody really knows exactly what happened to it. And this whole region kind of disappeared. And in the book, it's kind of like a zombie apocalypse, right? That you see sort of like undead that are wandering around. It's like, I want to do something a little bit more than that. So I came up with a different idea and I'll talk about it in this video about what I did for Nordheim that made it kind of a different place which is essentially a shattered part of the world where the gods literally shattered the world and now the world is is that section of the world is broken in these like earth moats that are floating above a whole other layer a whole other world one of the hells that it lies beneath um kessel moret or something like that so i like this idea that was a very different alien place that was very different from everywhere else because it's this area that the gods have forsaken and that's why the vampires and the ghouls are going there in order to have their marriage because it is this particularly unholy place and again same way with the blood marriage itself the blood marriage in the book is very cool and, and fine but you can also make it your own as well and i did and so you should always feel free to like look at what an adventure has and say actually i think it'd be more fun if i did it this way then absolutely you should go that way never feel like you have to do what the adventure is telling you to do and then the final tip that i have my final sort of initial tip for running this chapter is that you're going to want to manage archduke archduke avgot's kidnapping one of the major hooks that follows through for the, the whole rest of the campaign is the fact that this archduke that they were traveling with back in, in part two that he gets kidnapped at the end of part three and how you handle that could could be really interesting or it could be bad and if it's too stereotypical like oh hey we spent all that time bringing that guy around and now he's just got kidnapped of course he did especially if they don't like him because he could be kind of an unlikable character you really want to kind of find a way to make sure that it's a that the, the you want to manage that kidnapping you want to think about how that particular approach it matters for your game and how you want to bring that to the player so that it doesn't feel lame and in my case i've had a very interesting sort of sidekick his the valet of archduke avgost is this character called barnabas who is a shadow fey the characters found out he's a shadow fey and he has spent his life protecting archduke avgost because he protects the bloodline that's his job and he got kidnapped as well and they found barnabas in the blood marriage so when they were when they went to the ceremony the blood marriage he was going to be sacrificed for the blood marriage and they're like wait a minute we left you and jost how did you get here well the answer was that the the, the ghouls used a shadow road to bring him then but how did you get here and what does that mean for archduke avgas and he said they took him they took us and they split us up and they brought me here and they took him to the south so now it was more interesting right there was more details to it and the players i didn't get a feeling from the players like oh great we have to go save this guy it was also recognizing that regardless of what you think of archduke avgas and why you would want to make sure he matters to the characters is that 
there's there's a couple ways. One is his blood, his physical blood is important because he's a noble. His blood in particular can be used in a ceremony to bring about an army of Darakul. The players should definitely want to stop that. And two is that he was a linchpin in bringing the dwarves together of the Cantons to go and invade and, and defeat the vampires of Krakova. And if he's not around, the dwarves might not bother to do it because he was the only one that could kind of give them the titles that they wanted if they win this war. So even though he could be kind of this elitist jerk, he's an important part of this whole campaign. And you can sort of reinforce that he's an important part of the campaign, regardless of what they think of him. It's important that they get him back. And that's something that you want to be seeding in, particularly at the end of this adventure when they find out that Avgast has been kidnapped. I think, again, just like seeding the blood marriage in, that in the later half of this adventure, you can seed in the fact that Avgast is being kidnapped or has been kidnapped. You could drop in little seeds during the blood marriage, and that's a way to sort of tie everything together. I think it works really well. So now we're going to take a look at the at the chapter itself. I'm going to kind of walk through it, and I'm going to talk about what happened in my own game and give some other give some other ideas about how you might how you might run this in in your own game so we start this, this i love the artwork by the way the artwork is also down there in the in the little thumbnail and the what i liked about this chapter is it's very straightforward the answer is there's a big ceremony that's going on that ghouls and vampires are getting together they're having this ceremony and we want you to go in and disrupt it it's really cool straightforward storyline easy for characters to grasp easy for the players to grasp they kind of go there and do it but there's still a lot of interesting things that happen in this chapter so even though the, the plot of the chapter is pretty straightforward there there's still a lot of interesting things that go on, particularly in learning about the whole region of the North, which really this chapter excels at is, is the uh, learning about the region of the North. So read up on the, ch the chapter background and chapter summary. It definitely talks about what's going on here. And then the idea, what I did is, so we have this, this part that's like the Spear Maiden's plea. A lot of read aloud text, a lot of background story. You can, you know, you can run it as is, again, or you can kind of make it your own. And what I did is at this point, now that we've been playing for a while, and by the way, this, this campaign is taking a long time to run, which is fine. I'm enjoying it, but it's a big campaign. It's a big undertaking. And by this point, the characters have met lots of different people. They've met the, the uh, sister Hilda at the, of the shield of the shield maiden the spear maidens at jost they've met duke avgost they've met the dwarves so you can kind of have sort of a elrond's council kind of moment where all of these important characters that the players have met that they've brought together in jost can get together and have this conversation about we have learned that there is a ceremony that is taking place to the north the vampires and the ghouls are getting together it's this symbolic marriage that is going to connect these two groups together it seems to be really important to them so we want to go and disrupt it because if we do that you know if if we manage to split or cause any kind of rift between the ghoul imperium and the vampires we will be in a better spot to be able to fight them which duke avgost archduke avgost and the dwarves are going to get involved in so very clear mission very clear drive we you know and there's good reason like we're going to go together and get our armies together and get all the dwarves together and start getting ready for this invasion to the south to go to go liberate krakova but we need you and your special team to go north and disrupt this ceremony so i think that that's a really cool a really cool thing. So you can run it kind of where it's going here, or you can run another way. Now, the, the whole Reaver Cave thing, as I brought up this idea, one of the things, because the Midgard World Book has some kind of troubling things about the dwarves. They're sort of like slavers. They, you know, they, 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 they yeah, they kind of, they, the dwarves can be kind of a nasty group if you play the way they are in the Midgard World Book. The way I played it, is that is a history that the dwarves have had a while ago, but now they don't do that anymore. And in particular, there might be one group that still is, and that's these reaver dwarves to the north who are still like raiding pirate ships, capturing slaves, bringing them back and eating them because they're, they're, they're kind of like ghoulish, terrible cannibal 
cannibal dwarves. So now that we have clear bad guys for the characters to fight and they're in this reaver cave. And I thought it was interesting if one of the dwarves could come and say, hey, I know you're heading to the northern region already. There's still a lot of, you know, a lot of friction between other people of the north and the dwarven, the, the dwarves because of these times past. We want you to bring these people down. We want you to stop these dwarven reavers. We want you to stop this this terrible thing that's going on there. So while you're going there, here we have this location where we know that they're going, and you can. We would like you to go over there and and stop this. You know, take down this particular group because a they're causing more friction for us because like oh the dwarves in the north are doing exactly what you guys used to do. It's like we don't do that anymore. They're no longer with us. So that that kind of worked out. Then when the characters so so the characters took that quest on. They had sort of two quests: a short quest, stop the dwarven reavers to the north, and then a longer quest is get to the blood marriage, stop the blood marriage from from happening. So nice kind of staged couple of quests that the characters had picked up by then. So then the characters went across the sea. I ran one encounter along the sea that was like a staged encounter where they got attacked by zombie fisher folk. So it was basically like the Dwarven Reavers had killed these fisher folk, raided their ships, killed them, and and started to, I'm going to be gross, started to eat them. And then they became zombies themselves. They became these kind of like zombies. And then they're crawling on the ship trying to get to our crew. Then while the characters are fighting them, then I had a zombie octopus that showed up. And then the zombie octopus is crawling on the ship. And they're like, oh my God, zombie octopus. And at that point, a white dragon arrived. And I can't remember if it's in Midgard or if I just made this up completely, but I like the idea of like a blackmailing white dragon. So this is a white dragon that lands on the ship or flies around the ship and says, oh, looks like you're having trouble with zombies. I'll take care of them. But if I'm going to want some trouble, treasure to do so and if not i can just join in with these zombies and just kill you guys and take your stuff anyway and so the character's like oh we hate you okay we'll give you a couple of magic items you know and there was like some dickering and bargaining about which magic items and then they uh so they made a deal and one of the characters had polymorphed the zombie octopus into a turtle a big turtle and said we'll make you a deal if you will grab this turtle and go and drop it on the Reavers, then we'll give you a couple of magic items. And he's like, sure. And so they took some, they gave him some magic items. They gave him some stuff. He took the stuff. He took the big turtle and he flew off. And the characters are like, all right. And then they, they defeat the rest of the zombies. Everything's fine. So then the ship makes its way over to the Reaver caves. And at this point, they look and all of the Reaver ships are, are, are destroyed. And they're like, what has happened? Some of them are frozen. Some of them, yeah, you see like Reavers that are frozen in the ice. And then, you know, this other thing. And they saw the dead zombie octopus. And they're like, oh, well, that worked well. Like we managed to, the dragon managed to take out the, take out the, the Reaver ships and also destroyed the octopus at the same time. But that was a big surprise when he found out that it was a big, a big zombie octopus, but whatever. And, but they knew they still needed to go in the caves to take care of the rest of the Reavers because it's, even though they destroyed the ships, the Reavers are still there. So the characters then went into the Reaver cave and I expanded the Reaver Caves. I actually have some... I, one of the things that I've been doing, I'm a, I'm a fan of Dwarven Forge. I really love Dwarven Forge tabletop terrain. And because this game is mostly in person, every time I now have people at my table, I'm like, I want to use the best stuff that I can use to really make the experience at the table really, really good. So I've been using a lot of Dwarven Forge because it's, after two years of COVID, two and a half years, where we're playing online only. Having people at the table is so much fun for me that I really want to glitz it up. I really want to make it cool. So I have these like Reaver Caves that I made out of Dwarven Forge. I 
I built it into four separate rooms and then each one was on a terrain tray that I could drop in. So when they, they could choose which room they wanted to go to to deal with the Dwarven Reavers and then they could go in. Here was like a slave pit where they had thrown a bunch of the people in the pit and they would pull them out regularly and conduct some kind of ceremony and eat them later. But there was a bunch of people in there that, that got to rescue that were from the north and the people that were in here, other dwarves that were in here, they could rescue and that could tell them, oh, they could go to these other realms, particularly Wolfheim was sort of the next region they were going to go to. So the people they rescued in the Dwarven Caves helped get them to that next leg of the journey. And that really worked well. Here is another. This was sort of the main. Uh, this was sort of the main area. Big pillar up above a bridge and frozen waters and everything like that. And so the characters got involved in, involved here. And what was fun about this is when they went into the big Dwarven Reaver boss's room, he is like talking to Vardazane, the god of you know, the, 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 the unsated hunger, right? They, they follow this terrible God, cannibal God. And he's talking and he's like, why have we have done everything you ask? We have conducted the ceremonies. We've done the special eating exactly the way we're supposed to. And yet you forsake us and you drop giant zombie octopuses on us. Like, why are you doing this to us? We've done everything you ask and all of our ships are now destroyed. So he was like yelling at God because a dragon came and dropped a zombie octopus on them, which was fun. And then the players started to use like magic to throw their voice and say like, you have displeased me when I said that your job is to eat people. It was more metaphor metaphorical than it was physical you're not actually supposed to eat people and then he'd be like but but lord i have your book and it shows right here all of the instructions and recipes and special things there's like very specific ways that we're supposed to do it if it's a metaphor why is it so detailed and it was just really kind of fun and then they realized oh wait a minute these are a bunch of jerks talking at us through a secret door and they got into a fight and they managed to convince some of the dwarven reavers that they were definitely on the wrong side and they're like wow they, they ran away and they rescued everybody else and and it worked out really well so that was fun the dwarven reaver was a nice fun sort of miniature dungeon crawl nice fight against a cool enemy as they're making their way further north so at that point they had rescued some of the people that the reavers had kidnapped and they said oh you should come to our place wolfheim it's really it's or, yeah wolfheim it's right nearby why don't you come and hang out with us and so they said sure and they followed them they got in, involved in shenanigans they, they got in, involved in a couple of fights or one big fight against along the way where they fought these like weird polar you know magical infused polar bears i forget some one of the toma beast monsters so they fought those guys then they saw and they're like well it's just like a hut it's like a big hut like this is this is wolfheim this big hut and they're like yeah yeah it's just a wolfheim and they're like i bet it's like a secret city underneath and then sure enough there's like a big elevator that takes him to this you know down board into the glacier is this massive dwarven city called wolfheim where all the dwarves are hanging out and they're invited there and then i had them meet like there's one npc that uh, ashra ray is her name and she's a member of the emerald order the cult of the emerald order and she just kind of magically shows up places where the characters are going to be and tell, talks to them and gives them ideas and tells Tells them what's coming and gives them foreshadows things that are going to come. She's been a very fun NPC and I've really enjoyed using that. And so she showed up there. The characters got involved with the dwarves there. And then our, our druid actually said, well, you like wolves. What if I could show you how to turn into one? And the head of the wolves is like, or the head of the, 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 the Wolfheim region is like, oh yeah, show me that. So he taught him it and he's like, this is great. And he transforms into a wolf and then starts chasing other people around pretending to be a werewolf. And they're like, oh my God, a werewolf. And he's like, no, tis I, the king. And he thought like, you know, one of the you know fun bit, because you have your 13 year old humor is he, he was like, I have to take all my clothes off for this, right? And he goes, no, no, it actually will go. And it's like, I'm taking off my clothes. And he's like, you don't need to take off all your clothes. Like it'll transform with you. 
you. He's like, nah, it's better this way. And so he's running around as a werewolf or as a wolf, right? Yeah, a wolf chasing people around. And then he'd be like, ha ha, it is I, the king. And he's totally naked. And everyone else is like, ooh, teach us that. So, and then he started teaching other people how to do it, which means now the, the, the nation of the Wolfheim now can turn into wolves, but believe that they have to do so naked. So they always take off their clothes when they turn into wolves and run around. And they have a big barrels full of clothes that they, they, they where they put their clothes and they pick up their clothes when they're done running around as wolves. Fun, entertaining little story. The Nordheim dwarves told the characters to go across the strait. They knew they had to go to Holdremos. They said, if you want to find out about how to get to Northheim, and that Northheim is this cursed region of the north where the temple, the blood temple exists, the, 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 the midnight temple it's called, and that's where this blood marriage is going to take place, but they don't know how to get there. So in this case, they knew that somebody at Holdermose, the queen of Holdermose could tell them how to get there, help them get there. So they knew they needed to get to Holdermose. I had them cross over the strait to make their way to Holdermose and then go to this Marsh Hollow area. And I had a NPC there who kind of ruled over the region. And I didn't really, they never have figured out who it is or what she is. They think like, is she a hag? She claims to be a god. She has a bunch of worshipers who follow us and she seems to destroy everybody by melting their bodies with something that looks kind of like fire but isn't fire and you might be able to guess what she is but the the, the players didn't reckon ever ever guess what she is and her whole thing is she ruled over this region and they had to get permission from her and she said look if you're going to go after these ragnarok cultists who have been bothering me i will let you through and she said sure so it was it was very cool yeah somebody well it says i heard hold your nose yeah they they the players referred to it as hold your, hold your nose the entire time so you're going to have to suffer as i have suffered by your players taking this wonderful in rich fantasy region and referring to it as hold your, hold your nose that's dnd for you so the characters made their way past the marsh hollow pat they convinced this god to let them through this 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 acid god right who would melt and she said like i've got ragnarok cultists also i'd like you to spy on the queen of of Holdramos. they agreed to do it but then didn't do it in the end and then they learned more about this cult of ragnarok that's in the area again foreshadowing things are they're going to come about there's like they were trailing these they were trailing these Ragnarok cultists who had been making their way through the region, conducting these terrible rituals, summoning these powerful entities, and they're figuring out like who are this who is this group. So that way when they find out about hunting the Ragnarok cultists at, at Holdramos, it's not a big surprise. They know that this this group exists. So then they got to Holdramos. They met this is an awesome NPC, and I absolutely love the artwork. So she was kind of the lead tracker. I don't remember her name, but she was like the lead tracker for the for Holdramos, a trollkin you know big powerful trollkin valkyrie woman right and uh she was she met the characters at the front she learned who they were what what mission they had learned about the ghoul stuff and said oh my queen will want to know this come back to Holdramos and we'll go there they went to Holdramos, which is very much a northern city and again this is that embrace the north so i had a big statue of wotan one-eyes wife i can't remember her name which isn't in the pantheon of midgard but you, you can pick up the one from the northern pantheon so i had a big statue of frig wotan one-eyes wife was there she's kind of standing there sort of tall and powerful and you know this this sort of you know neat northern god and one of the things that i i really tried to promote here was that uh the gods are like you know they the gods are part of the daily life of the people there and the gods are are more active here than they are in the other regions where they're sort of metaphysical like here every so often you will hear from them again foreshadowing how the characters are going to be brought to northheim when they conduct their ritual so they met the queen here they talked to her did some kind of interesting things where they found out about the secret world tree that the queen of Holdermo, the two queens of Holdermos are, are are hiding because they 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 have a, a a piece of the world tree 
tree here and it's growing more just kind of giving interesting lore. And again, it's this lore that really makes this campaign fun because you're really showing off all these fun bits of what makes Midgard unique as a as a campaign setting. So really fun. But the queen said, look, here's the deal. Uh, the gods want you to stop these Ragnarok cultists. It's not me. I'm not giving you this quest. But if you want to make your way to Northheim, the way that you're going to be able to get that passage is by proving to the gods of your worth and doing so you have to defeat this cult of Ragnarok. And they're like, you're telling us to go defeat them. And she's like, no, it's not me. It's the gods. And like, yeah, yeah, whatever. And then the statue of Frigg says, it's me. Like, you know, it, it's its face kind of animates. I got this right out of the old 1980s Clash of the Titans movie where the statue's eyes open up and it says like, you know, if you want passage to the cursed lands, you are going to need to you know, show your worth to, to us and to do so stop these idiot Ragnarok cultists from trying to bring about the end of the world too early. And the character's like, okay, I guess the big statue told us to do it. Not you. And she's like, yeah, I told you there's the gods. So then they went after the cult of Ragnarok and that was again, a little bit more travel, but not so bad. And, and I kind of hand waved a lot of it. They got to see some of the forest. They got to see that like the lands around Holdermos are wild lands. There's things out there that'll kill you. That is not a safe region. There's no roads. There's no safe passage. There's no, it's way less safe and connected as the, the midlands are of, of Midgard. I did skip all of this like combat trials. I'm not, I'm just never a fan of like, combat trials and tests of skills and things like that every time i see them in adventure i'm like eh, we're just wasting time like we've got a bunch of encounters that we're doing just so you can roll ability checks you know to, to save time so i, I kind of threw out the combat trials and instead i just said you guys are your job is to go after the your your job is to go after the cult of ragnarok now maybe my players was like oh no these trials would have been fun but i don't know snake handling melee trials and stuff like that it feels like dream sequences where like you go through a whole segment and it turns out you're just ending exactly where you started boasting contests i mean some of this stuff could be fun it's up to you if you like if you look at it and you like it and you want to drop it in be, go with the gods me i'm like i want to move the plot forward right i want to i've got things to do this is already a big campaign i don't need to have them have a big party Right. There's a lot of things going on. So then I had them go. They traveled off to the east. They crossed over a big river and they fought the Ragnarok cultists. I kind of made this my own. Again, I used like a fun Dwarven Forge setting for this. This was this was one of the Ragnarok cult areas that they found. This is one of the northern statues. And then I think this was the one where they actually fought the Ragnarok cultists themselves. The interesting fun bit with this part of the Ragnarok cultists is that one of them wasn't actually a Ragnarok cultist, but a Loki cultist who had convinced the Ragnarok cultists that Ragnarok was coming. And he's like... I did it for the lols. They're like, why did you do this? For the lols? I thought it'd be funny, right? I thought I'd tell them about this and I'd see them do their crazy rituals and then fail. And he's like, what I didn't realize is they actually are doing what they say they're going to do. So they had to fight a whole bunch of cultists. It was a great big fun battle where they had to fight all these different Ragnarok cultists. I didn't have like the hags, like the snow hags and stuff like that. You could certainly do it with those, but I thought it'd be more fun uh, I, I just used regular Ragnarok cultists and I use Forge of Foes for all the monsters. I've been using a lot of Forge of Foes stat blocks. So because they're so much easier than digging up stat blocks or using ones, it's just use your Forge of Foes generic ones and flavor them how you want. Getting really addicted to that. So I used like standing stones and lots of platforms. I had like floating rocks so that there was opportunities for them to like either have to go after people that are way up high or get, manage to get up there themselves. They did a lot of fun because now they're getting to like sixth, seventh level. So they have a lot of fun shenanigans about teleporting around and jumping to places and pulling people down really good dynamic time really fun so then they defeated the ragnarok cultist cultist they went back to nord they went back to holdramos 
and there the god you know the god said you you have done well you've stopped this cult of ragnarok and now you want passage to the north and we will give it to you behold the valkyries and the valkyries are these big flying wolves so i had these like wolves come in they the characters i had the players name which wolf they were flying on these big winged wolves who were the valkyries of the gods that say we will take you we can take you to the edge of nordheim but we can't take you in there because the land is cursed and they learned that like the god boreas had like shattered them in a, you know the the god you know, this God in a, in battle with other Titans had taken his massive pick and smashed it in the ground and shattered the world. And now Kessel Moret, now the world is floating over a, a hellish, massive hellish portal to Kessel Moret, this, this, this realm of one of the nine, one of the hells of the Midgard setting. And, you know, and he's like, so we can't go there. The gods don't ever, the gods nor the servants of the gods do not go there, but we could take it to the edge of the place. So they got on the backs of the, of the, of the Valkyries, the wolves, and they flew and realized they're flying along a shadow road that the wolves have their aerial shadow road that they're flying around. And they got attacked by a boreal dragon who was sent by Boreas because he's like, you have invaded my realm. You've invaded this area. And the boreal dragon, the characters fled from the boreal dragon, which is totally fine. And then they landed outside of Nordheim and then they see this land and it's like, it's literally a shattered land. It's literally like massive chunks of the land floating in the air with like little rocky floating earth moats that connect them together. And they had to pick the path that they wanted to take. Again, I gave them sort of three different paths that they could take to make their way across this shattered land. They decided to take like the mountain passageway on the left there they ran into a jotun like one of the old frost giants of of old lore who was frozen in place when i got a quest from him to take his soul which had been trapped here in nordheim and bring it outside of nordheim so it could be so it could be freed one of the characters did it and then when they at the end when they actually brought the soul out the soul said actually i'd like to stay with you and the stole now he's got this powerful magic item that has the soul of a jotun in it so they can talk to i love that kind of tag along npcs that are like intelligent magic items or magic items possessed by powerful entities that can help you really great way to have npcs that the characters can bring with them everywhere they go that don't get involved in combat so they made their way to Nordheim. They made their way through this passages and it was really kind of fun and very, very alien world, right? Very different from any other place that they saw, which is what I really liked. I liked that better than what I had read about Nordheim in the book itself. Again, make it your own, take what you like. If you like what they say here and you're like, no, I really like how they describe it in the book, go with the book. If you have a bigger idea and you're like, ooh, I really want it to be like this, go with, go with what you think is cool. So I did that. And then we got to the wedding itself there's a lot again a bunch of you know cursed multitude a bunch of stuff in the book that you can read through about how they make it through you know weird crazy darrow that are involved here all kinds of stuff and that can you know that definitely can tie into the the, the story of the realm too so i'm not bashing it too much but i was like i got i just wanted it to be kind of different and what i read here didn't grab me the same way as like my idea of like the god having smashed the realm to the north so then they made it to the Midnight Temple themselves. And I treated this very much in what I refer to as like situational based D&D. This idea that you set up a situation, you, you, you kind of say, here's the event that's taking place. Here's what's going on. Here's who's there. Here is where it's taking place. And here's your goal. And it's up to you to figure out how you want to do it. And I do that instead of like setting up an encounter. Instead of saying like, here's like, you know, seven bad guys and here's the characters and here's like some interesting things in the, in the arena or whatever like that. Instead of setting up as a, like a tactical encounter, I love to just say, here's this whole big thing that's going on here. And I have to say like, it was, I have, I've done another video about it. I talked about this on the talk show a while back, so I'm not going to reiterate it too much in this video. I'll link to it down below because that was really, really cool how I ran the Midnight Temple and how it played out. 
But by making it a situation, instead of making it this tactical encounter, it was a far more interesting and dynamic situation that the players got to do lots of different things. And I remember like we were talking, I was talking about it with my friends afterwards. And we're like, you know, when they got involved in the battle at the Midnight Temple, instead of like counting squares and figuring out what attacks they do, I'm like, one of the characters is just a raging bear folk who's grabbing ghoul after ghoul and throwing them down this pit into the realm of Kessel Moret, one after the other. Did I didn't even have to track hit points for those guys because it was like you know she would roll another athletics check and she'd grab the guy and throw him down the pit and there's like you know all just it was so powerful i have a i have a i have a couple pictures of this this was the arena that i set up for the midnight temple it was full of basically every ghoul and vampire miniature that i happen to have on hand i threw in there there must have been 25 miniatures in there i used my forge of foes very rapid stat blocks to manage the stats for them so it was very straightforward on running the stats for them i get same stat block for whether you're a vampire or a ghoul or vampire spawn right vampire spawn or a ghoul same stat block and i would just flavor them differently the vampires when they got an attack and succeeded they might drain your life and lower your hit point threshold ghouls you have might have to make a saving throw in order to see if you get paralyzed very you know all i had to do was kind of plug in those two things to make them feel different nobody even knew that their armor class is the same their hit points are the same their attack bonus is the same the amount of damage they're doing is the same nobody cared right and what they did care about was like that's a vampire that's a ghoul and what they really enjoyed was i'm going to grab that ghoul and throw it down a pit Right. I also used my my idea of a damage pool to manage hit point tracking. So if I had 25, 30 guys on here, I didn't have to worry about tracking their independent hit points. I just used the damage pool. I explained to the players that I was using a damage pool. If you want to learn more about how to use a damage pool to manage a lot of monsters at once, there's a link down in the show notes below. And also it is a uh, we have we describe it in Forge of Foes, which is really cool. So they had this wonderful, big climactic battle at the Midnight Temple. Again, video the video where I talk all about the, the dynamic battle and what happened there and just how the situation expanded. But needless to say, they killed a lot of people. They threw the temple down into Kessel Moret. They rescued Barnabas, the, the valet of of Duke Avgost, at which point they found out that Duke Avgost had been kidnapped before kind of learning about it by going back to Jost. And so they managed to end this ceremony, which did shatter the rift between the vampires and the ghouls. Unfortunately, they did find out they can't lead the attack now against the vampires because the guy who was going to coordinate that attack, the guy who's going to bring all the people together to do it has now been kidnapped. So now they have this new, this new realm, but that, that was really fun. That, that whole segment of the midnight temple was a really good time. Again, you could run it as it is in there. There's a really fun map for it. Really cool location. A lot of interesting things going on. I just really wanted to, you know, go over above the top for this big climactic battle. And I could have been happy. I think it might be one of my favorite battles that I've ever run. I really, really had a good time. And you can see like as two ghouls, two cult fanatics, two dwarven berserkers. There's again, you can kind of lot, lots of them, but I really love throwing tons of people in here. And there are a lot of people in here, even by the book. So characters that are going to want to try to figure out how to defeat this wedding, there's a lot of things going on and they're going to have to play smart if they want to do it. And that, that, that was, that was a really good time. So I enjoyed it. Great artwork. Like I love, you know, here's this ghoul with his little neck frilly neck thing. And then you have the, the vampire bride in her beautiful red dress. Really, really fun, really fun stuff. Instead of having a, High Priest of Chernabog, I had the red, the red Mother, the Priestess of the Red Mother was running it because I've been running this subplot that the, 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 that the Red Mother, the, the Cult of the Red Mother, the Cult of the Red Goddess, whatever she's called, Marina, 
which is in chapter one. So it's kind of fun to keep the connection going that they are losing power to the ghouls. Like they, they were the ones that were trying to bring the vampires and ghouls together. They want to have a seat at the table. They want to be the third sort of the, the, the third seat at the table, but they're losing the vampires. and The ghouls are getting less interested in them. So they were hoping that by being the officiant for this wedding, that the red, the, the, the priestesses of the red mother would be brought to the table again, but now that's shattered. And now the red priestesses are in a really bad go. That could have a, a factor later on in the adventure. So lots of fun there. Then they returned back to Jost and they learned more about what exactly happened with Duke Avgost. And here was another, another tricky bit, another, another thing that is worth, worth considering, which is you want to make sure this is another one of those, like having a good dial on the urgency because chapter, the next section, the, the you know, section four, uh, the next, the next adventure in this, which is called Catacombs of the Ghoul King, A, takes place like 7,000 miles south of Jost, even it's like 3,000 miles south of Zobek, even if they're taking shadow roads, it's going to take them a long time to get there, and it's going to take them a fair bit of time to actually accomplish what's going on in here, and then they have to go down in the Underdark, or the, into the Underworld, to get to the city to rescue him. So you want to make it clear, like, Duke Avgost's life is not an immediate danger in fact they might not know even know where he is one of the things that i've been doing is saying that barnabas was going to go find out go was going to go down in the underworld himself to go find out where he went because they don't even know where he is and then he said i'll come I'll, I'll meet you back you know when i find out where he is and what we need to do i'll let you know and that way i was able to do some side quests for the next chapter and i'll talk about this when i do my chapter my chapter recap for for catacombs of the ghoul king but the main thing was at the end of chapter three, making it clear that, yes, Duke Avgost has been kidnapped, but no, you don't have to go save him right away. In fact, it's going to be difficult for you to even know how to save him, and it's going to take some time, but it's okay because his life is not in immediate danger because the ghouls don't want to kill him. They want to find out what makes him so special that they can use his blood in order to create Darakul. Then if, they, if the players know that and the characters know that, they're not going to have this like, oh my God, we got to go save him right away, or they're just going to sacrifice him and make a bunch of Darakul. You can turn, you know, you you want to make sure that however you describe it you have a dial on that urgency if the characters go too far astray you want to say like you know you you wonder like that the the, the things that the ghouls are doing to try to learn more about avgost and his blood that's happening right now but if the characters are too driven like we can't do any of these side quests we have to go save him well then you want to dial back and say well you know you you know barnabas has told you his life probably isn't immediate danger you think you might have time in order to do this stuff just tell the players tell the players and tell the characters they do have time but not so much time that they can just do whatever they want have that dial this is like tomb of annihilation right with the death curse have a dial that you are able to turn to either increase the urgency when you want the adventure to go forward or decrease it so that the players can enjoy exploring the world because half the fun, much of the fun of this campaign is being able to explore the world of Midgard. Uh, I really enjoyed this chapter. It was so much fun. Again, I had one of the, the, the best sort of big scale encounters that I've ever run in, in d and I really enjoyed it. I like this adventure very much. And I hope if you are running this campaign or even if you're not, if you found that there's some tips in here that you think are useful generally, or if it gives you an idea that maybe you want to take some ideas from this or you want to take ideas from the book, that can work too. If you found this video useful, you can subscribe to the Sly Flourish newsletter and get a weekly RPG related email sent directly to your inbox along with a free adventure generator PDF. 
Jeff. You can also support me directly on Patreon. Patrons get access to a dedicated Discord server, a monthly Q&A, all kinds of great accessories to help run your D&D games, tips like this, video previews, tons of stuff. You get tons of stuff for being a patron, like Regnum Rattus, The Rats in the Cellar, which I talked about in the beginning of this video. And you can pick up any of my books at the Sly Flourish bookstore. They are now linked directly in YouTube, so you can actually see the store links here in YouTube. You can also uh, go directly to the Sly Flourish bookstore and pick up your books there. Links for all of that are in the show notes. Thank you all so much. Have a great day and get out there and play an RPG.